Chapter Three, Part One of *The Many-Sided Franklin* by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Three, Education, Part One. If the commonly accepted use of the term education as a synonym for the word schooling were adopted in the case of Franklin, there would be little need to consider this side of his personality. I was put to the grammar school at eight years of age, he states, and remained there not quite one year, though in that time I had risen gradually from the middle of the class of that year to be the head of it, and further was removed into the next class above it in order to go with that into the third at the end of the year. But my father, in the meantime, from a view of the expense of a college education, which having so large a family he could not well afford, and the mean living many so educated were afterwards able to obtain, reasons that he gave to his friends in my hearing, altered his first intention, took me from the grammar school, and sent me to a school for writing and arithmetic, kept by a then-famous man, Mr. George Brownell, very successful in his profession generally, and that by mild, encouraging methods. Under him I acquired fair writing pretty soon, but I failed in the arithmetic and made no progress in it. Thus began and ended all the regular tuition Franklin ever received, but slight as it was, he never forgot its benefits, and in his will was the clause, quote, I was born in Boston, New England, and owe my first instructions in literature to the free grammar schools established there. I therefore give one hundred pounds sterling to my executors to be by them paid over to the managers or directors of the free schools in my native town of Boston, to be by them put out to interest, and so continued at interest for ever, which interest annually shall be laid out in silver medals and given as honorary rewards annually by the directors of the said free schools belonging to the said town, in such manner as to the discretion of the selectmen of the said town shall seem meet end quote. the doors of wisdom are never shut affirmed poor richard and if franklin was a pupil for only two years he seems never to have ceased to be a student the same proverb maker asserted that god helps them that help themselves and by continuous self-culture his creator became almost encyclopedic in his knowledge and one of the best informed and most learned men of his generation as early as 1756, John Adams had heard of, quote, Mr. Franklin of Philadelphia, a prodigious genius, cultivated with prodigious industry, end quote. Franklin advised, read much, but not too many books. But as he himself said, we may give advice, but we cannot give conduct. And during his whole life, he was an omnivorous devourer of books. In his autobiography, he mentions, Quote, my early readiness in learning to read, which must have been very early, as I did not remember when I could not read. End quote. The taste was the more remarkable when the literature at his command is considered. 
from the inventory of his father's property it is learned that josiah franklin died possessed of two large bibles a concordance willard's complete body of divinity as dull a folio of nearly a thousand pages as was probably ever printed written by the clergyman who married josiah and abiah franklin and a parcel of small books more fully described by franklin who said Quote, my father's little library consisted of books in polemic divinity most of which i read and have since often regretted that at the time when i had such a thirst for knowledge more proper books had not fallen in my way yet even in this parcel of dry as dust theology the boy found some things to enjoy Quote, plutarch's lives there was in which i read abundantly and i still think that time spent to great advantage there was also a book of Dr. Foe's called An Essay on Projects, and another of Dr. Mather's called Essays to Do Good, which perhaps gave me a turn of thinking that had an influence on some of the principal future events of my life. This little tractate made so great an impression on the youthful mind that full seventy years after reading it, Franklin wrote to the author's son, quote, Permit me to mention one little instance, which, though it relates to myself, will not be quite uninteresting to you. When I was a boy, I met with a book entitled Essays to Do Good, which I think was written by your father. It had been so little regarded by a former possessor that several leaves of it were torn out, but the remainder gave me such a turn of thinking as to have an influence on my conduct through life, for I have always set a greater value on the character of a doer of good than on any other kind of reputation, and if I have been, as you seem to think, a useful citizen, the public owes the advantage of it to that book." Whatever might be the paucity of his father's library, the boy had a natural bent for reading, and could not be kept from books. From a child, he declared, I was fond of reading, and all the little money that came into my hands was ever laid out in books. Pleased with the Pilgrim's Progress, my first collection was of John Bunyan's works in separate little volumes. I afterwards sold them to enable me to buy R. Burton's historical collections. They were small Chapman's books, and cheap, forty or fifty in all. End quote. The taste was no doubt whetted by the influence of his uncle Benjamin, who lived for a time in Boston, and who took not a little interest in the intellectual development of his namesake. Before the boy was five years of age, his uncle began sending him monitory poems, acrostics, and letters of advice. He was not merely a confirmed scribbler, but a book collector as well, and many years after his death, Franklin became possessed of part of his library by a curious chance. Yesterday, a very odd accident happened, he wrote, which I must mention to you as it relates to your grandfather. A person that deals in old books, of whom I sometimes buy, acquainted me that he had a curious collection of pamphlets bound in eight volumes folio and twenty-four volumes quarto and octavo, which he thought from the subjects I might like to have, and that he would sell them cheap. I desired to see them, and he brought them to me. On examining, I found that they contained all the principal pamphlets and papers on public affairs that had been printed here from the Restoration down to 1715. In one of the blank leaves at the beginning of each volume, the collector had written the titles of the pieces contained in it and the price they cost him. 
also notes in the margin of many of the pieces and the collector i find from the handwriting and various other circumstances was my uncle benjamin wherefore i the more readily agreed to buy them i suppose he parted with them when he left england and came to boston which was about the year seventeen sixteen or seventeen seventeen now more than fifty years since in whose hands they have been all this time i know not the oddity is that the bookseller who could suspect nothing of any relation between me and the collector should happen to make me the offer of them it was this bookish inclination which at length determined my father to make me a printer franklin states and one of the incidental advantages of the trade to him was that i now had access to better books an acquaintance with the apprentices of booksellers enabled me sometimes to borrow a small one which i was careful to return soon and clean often i sat up in my room reading the greatest part of the night when the book was borrowed in the evening and to be returned early in the morning lest it should be missed or wanted and after some time an ingenious tradesman mr matthew adams who had a pretty collection of books and who frequented our printing-house took notice of me invited me to his library and very kindly lent me such books as i chose to read another advantage which the apprenticeship brought the lad was some money to spend as already told franklin when he became a vegetarian agreed with his brother Quote, that if he would give me weekly half the money he paid for my board i would board myself he instantly agreed to it and i presently found that i could save half what he paid me this was an additional fund for buying books in this way the boy amassed a considerable library though he sold some of his books to raise a little money as a preliminary to becoming a runaway apprentice those that were left were in sufficient number to secure him notice from an important personage Quote, the then governor of new york burnett son of bishop burnett hearing from the captain that a young man one of his passengers had a great many books desired that he would bring me to see him the governor treated me with great civility showed me his library which was a very large one and we had a good deal of conversation about books and authors this was the second governor who had done me the honor to take notice of me which to a poor boy like me was very pleasing this bookishness brought a broadening and cultivation that made the boy sensitive to his previous failure in arithmetic and quote, now it was that being on some occasion made ashamed of my ignorance in figures which i had failed in learning when at school i took cocker's book of arithmetic and went through the whole by myself with great ease i also read sellers and shermy's books of navigation and became acquainted with the little geometry they contained but never proceeded far in that science End quote. henceforth franklin seems to have been a good accountant and to have taken a special enjoyment in the problems offered by mathematics although he acknowledged that they were merely difficile nugae incapable of any useful application he confessed to the late learned mr logan that quote, in my younger days having once some leisure which i still think i might have employed more usefully i had amused myself in making magic squares and at length had acquired such a knack at it that i could fill the cells of any magic square of reasonable size with a series of numbers as fast as i could write them disposed in such a manner as that the sums of every row horizontal perpendicular or diagonal should be equal 
but not being satisfied with these which i looked on as common and easy things i had imposed on myself more difficult tasks and succeeded in making other magic squares with a variety of properties and much more curious what is more when logan called his attention to a square of even greater complexity quote, not being willing to be outdone even in the size of my square i went home and made that evening a magical square of sixteen End quote, which Franklin deemed to be the most magically magical of any magic square ever made by any magician. In this, the properties were, quote, and here in the text are shown the two magic squares described. One, that every straight row, horizontal or vertical, of eight numbers added together makes 260, and half each row, half 260. Two, that the bent row of eight numbers ascending and descending diagonally, viz., from 16 ascending to 10, and from 23 descending to 17, and every one of its parallel bent rows of eight numbers makes 260. Also, the bent row from 52 descending to 54, and from 43 ascending to 45, and every one of its parallel bent rows of eight numbers makes 260. Also, the bent row from 45 to 43, descending to the left, and from 23 to 17, descending to the right, and every one of its parallel bent rows of eight numbers makes 260. Also, the bent row from 52 to 54, descending to the right, and from 10 to 16, descending to the left, and every one of its parallel bent rows of eight numbers makes 260. Also, the parallel bent rows next to the above mentioned, which are shortened to three numbers ascending and three descending, etc., as from 53 to 4 ascending and from 29 to 44 descending, make, with the two corner numbers, 260. Also, the two numbers 14, 61 ascending and 36, 19 descending, with the lower four numbers situated like them, viz., 50, 1 descending and 32 47 ascending makes 260 and lastly the four corner numbers with the four middle numbers make 260 End quote. not contented with this he composed also a magic circle consisting of eight concentric circles and eight radial rows filled with a series of numbers from 12 to 75 inclusive so disposed as that the number of each circle or each radial row being added to the central number 12 they make exactly 360 the brief time spent by franklin in london as a journeyman printer was very important to him in an intellectual sense because of an opportunity it afforded him Quote, while I lodged in Little Britain, I made an acquaintance with one Wilcox, a bookseller, whose shop was at the next door. He had an immense collection of second-hand books. Circulating libraries were not then in use, but we agreed that, on certain reasonable terms, which I have now forgotten, I might take, read, and return any of his books. This I esteemed a great advantage, and I made as much use of it as I could." End quote in this arrangement probably lay the germ of one of franklin's worthiest undertakings upon his return to philadelphia after his london sojourn he quote, formed most of my ingenious acquaintance into a club of mutual improvement called the junto 
of a half debating and half social character which was the best school of philosophy morality and politics that then existed in the province for our queries which were read the week preceding their discussion put us upon reading with attention upon the several subjects that we might speak more to the purpose and here too we acquired better habits of conversation everything being studied in our rules which might prevent our disgusting each other about seventeen thirty a proposition was made by me that since our books were often referred to in our disquisitions upon the queries it might be convenient to us to have them all together where we met that upon occasion they might be consulted and by thus clubbing our books to a common library we should while we liked to keep them together have each of us the advantage of using the books of all the other members which would be nearly as beneficial as if each owned the whole it was liked and agreed to and we filled one end of the room with such books as we could best spare the number was not so great as we expected and though they had been of great use yet some inconveniences occurred for want of due care of them the collection after about a year was separated and each took his books home again and now i set on foot my first project of a public nature that for a subscription library i drew up the proposals got them put into form by our great scrivener brockton and by the help of my friends in the junto procured fifty subscribers of forty shillings each to begin with and ten shillings a year for fifty years the term our company was to continue we afterwards obtained a charter the company being increased to one hundred this was the mother of all the north american subscription libraries now so numerous it has become a great thing itself and continually increasing these libraries have improved the general conversation of the americans made the common tradesmen and farmers as intelligent as most gentlemen from other countries and perhaps have contributed in some degree to the stand so generally made throughout the colonies in defense of their privileges after the library was well started franklin continued to work for it in many ways he aided it to obtain books from europe served as secretary for several years and was for long a director but the institution amply repaid his trouble for in his own words quote, this library afforded me the means of improvement by constant study for which i set apart an hour or two each day and thus repaired in some degree the loss of the learned education my father once intended for me reading was the only amusement i allowed myself in the last year of his life the library company outgrew its quarters and he was asked by the then board of trustees in recognition of the fact that the people of philadelphia were Quote, indebted to dr franklin for the first idea as well as execution of the plan of a public library end quote, to write an inscription to be placed in the new building which should quote, perpetuate a grateful remembrance of it end quote. franklin accordingly prepared a draft but carefully omitted any mention of himself in the proposed inscription and he even wrote it at first without the words cheerfully and at the instance of one of them however in compliance with the urging of the members he added them though quote, he still thinks it would be better without them end quote. the committee accepted his essay but inserted a line properly commemorating his share 
as franklin was instrumental in founding a circulating library that those not possessing books might obtain the use of them so he made his own collection of books serve a similar purpose but he seems to have been as heedless a lender of books as the proverbial borrower is and recurrent advertisements in his paper show his lapses of memory and his attempts to jog the equally forgetful minds of those he had obliged Quote, the person that borrowed b franklin's law book of this province is hereby desired to return it he having forgot to whom he lent it Quote, lent some time since a book entitled campbell's vitruvius britannicos the person who has it is desired to return it to the printer hereof also the first volume of clarendon's history Quote, lent above a twelvemonth ago the second volume of select trials for murders robberies rapes sodomy coining frauds and other offences at the sessions house in the old bailey which not being returned to the owner he desires the person who has the book in possession to send it to the printer of this paper Quote, lent to captain lowry and left by him in the hands of some of his acquaintance in philadelphia the second volume of state trials wrote on the title page william shaw the person who has it is requested to bring it to the printer hereof Quote, lent and forgot to whom woods institutes of the laws of england folio the person that has it is desired to return it to the printer hereof Quote, lent but forgot to whom the second volume of pamela also the first volume of the turkish spy the persons that have them are desired to send them to the post office End quotes. Franklin's counsel to a woman friend probably gives his own system of reading. Quote, I would advise you, he said, to read with a pen in your hand and enter in a little book short hints of what you find that is curious or that may be useful, for this will be the best method of imprinting such particulars in your memory, where they will be ready either for practice on some future occasion, if they are matters of utility, or at least to adorn and improve your conversation, if they are rather points of curiosity. And as many of the terms of science are such as you cannot have met with them in your common reading, and may therefore be unacquainted with, I think it would be well for you to have a good dictionary at hand, to consult immediately when you meet with a word you do not comprehend the precise meaning of. This may at first seem troublesome and interrupting, but it is a trouble that will daily diminish, as you will daily find less and less occasion for your dictionary, as you become more acquainted with the terms and in the meantime you will read with more satisfaction because with more understanding when any point occurs in which you would be glad to have farther information than your book affords you i beg you would not in the least apprehend that i should think it a trouble to receive and answer your questions it will be a pleasure and no trouble for though i may not be able out of my own little stock of knowledge to afford you what you require i can easily direct you to the books where it may most readily be found End quote. his own experience served to teach franklin that a strong mind needs no schooling to develop it and that a poor mind is not strengthened by study poor richard made merry over the many witty men whose brains cannot fill their bellies and over those who would live by their wits but break for want of stock a learned blockhead is a greater blockhead than an ignorant one he asserted and claimed that of learned fools i have seen ten times ten of unlearned wise men i have seen a hundred 
yet franklin was far from showing the usual contempt of the self-taught man for an academic education on his settling in philadelphia he found quote, two things which i regretted and one of these was there being no provision for the complete education of youth i therefore in seventeen forty three drew up a proposal for establishing an academy End quote. but the country then being engaged in a war he let the scheme lie for a time dormant peace made he resumed the project in good earnest Quote, the first step was to associate in the design a number of active friends the next was to write and publish a pamphlet entitled proposals relating to the education of youth in pennsylvania End quote. in this he outlined what presumably was his ideal of an education there was to be a house in a high and dry situation not far from a river having a garden orchard meadow and a field or two a library and an equipment of scientific apparatus the scholars were to live plainly and temperately and to be quote, frequently exercised in running leaping wrestling and swimming as to their studies it would be well if they could be taught everything that is useful and everything that is ornamental but art is long and their time is short it is therefore proposed that they learn those things that are likely to be most useful and most ornamental regard being had for the several professions for which they are intended franklin's own predilection went no further than to procure the means of a good english education and he particularly insisted in his pamphlet that the rector of the school should be a correct pure speaker and writer of english Quote, a number of my friends to whom i communicated the proposal concurred with me in these ideas but other persons of wealth and learning whose subscription and countenance we should need being of opinion that it ought to include the learned languages i submitted my judgment to theirs retaining however a strong prepossession in favor of my first plan and resolving to preserve as much of it as i could and to nourish the english school by every means in my power End quote in aid of this he published in seventeen fifty one a scheme of an english school and as president of the trustees did what he could to prevent his purpose from being stifled by an undue regard for classical learning but though in the words of a contemporary franklin was the soul of the whole project he could not prevent the waning of one or the waxing of the other the Reverend William Smith, who became rector by Franklin's choice and influence, gave him no aid in his fight against the dead languages, and allowed the English school to lapse. As if this were not a sufficient miscarriage of Franklin's hopes, the academy, as it grew into a college, became an organ of politics, and a hotbed from which issued many of the pamphlet and newspaper attacks on its chief founder and the party with which he was associated, the rector himself being the most active in the paper war. With far more bitterness than was usual with Franklin, he wrote of these attacks, quote, before i left philadelphia everything to be done in the academy was privately preconcerted in a cabal without my knowledge or participation and accordingly carried into execution the schemes of public parties made it seem requisite to lessen my influence wherever it could be lessened the trustees had reaped the full advantage of my head hands heart and purse in getting through the first difficulties of the design and when they thought they could do without me they laid me aside 
i wish success to the schools nevertheless and am sorry to hear that the whole number of scholars does not at present exceed an hundred and forty End quote. End of chapter three part one